Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. Uh, This morning we're continuing on uh, in the week three of a series that we've entitled Changed. And this this series, um, it comes from the heart of, of every time Jesus had an encounter, right, with somebody, anybody, their life was changed. And so we're looking at different biblical accounts. Uh, Again, if we turn in our scripture, we'd be like, no, he was there, he's there. We're only going through three of them. Um, And then next week, we're gonna, for our engaged party, we're talking a little bit about the prodigal son that we were singing about this morning. But but looking at Jesus's interactions and how it changed the life of people. And so today, uh, if you have with you, I know our uh, hospitality team handed out some uh, rubber bands. Uh, If you did not get one of these fancy dancy orange rubber bands this morning on your way in, raise your hand. And uh, one, of our, one of our members would love to make sure you get one of those. Uh, these are not to shoot at people. These are to hold on to for just a moment, all right? Some of you are like, nah, that's what rubber bands are for. That is one, one reason. But I didn't know this. Did you know that the rubber band was patented in 1845 by Thomas Perry? He opened the first rubber band factory. I was, on, I was like, I didn't think it would be that old. But 1845, this here doohickey, uh, the rubber band, all right, was patented in 1923 in the great state of Ohio, William H. Spencer founded the Alliance Rubber Company. All right, so we get rubber bands manufactured right here in the great state of Ohio. And uh, just in case you were wondering, if you ever Google uses for rubber bands, uh, there are lots. I was not aware of all the uses. I'm like, no, it holds cards, it holds rolled up paper, it keeps things in place. Yes, that's one use. Uh, but you can put a rubber band on a jar lid and it gives you better traction to be able to open that jar. Great, love that. All right, this rubber band, uh, did you know that if you slice an apple and then you put a rubber band around it, it keeps it fresh? Because when I slice apples in 30 seconds, they're brown, right? But, but if you put a rubber band around it, it helps keep the air from getting into it. So yes, it holds papers, it keeps things together, but large rubber bands, So for those of you who like to cook and you have a cutting board that constantly moves, if you take large rubber bands and put it around the ends of your cutting board, it will no longer slide. I wonder if that's why they put rubber grommets on the bottom of cutting boards. It's genius, right? And so what do we see? We see there's uses of rubber bands. Um, If a screw is stripped, you can use the rubber band and take your Phillips head and jam it in there and use it to be able to grab at that screw. Didn't know that, great invention. Um, You can put it on the end of a spoon Right? And so for those of you who love to cook and you have that big old pot of noodles and you're like, I gotta keep stirring it, you put it on the end of the spoon and then it keeps it from falling into the water. Genius idea. I found another idea and I brought it to the attention of my daughter uh, because I thought it could be really useful. So if you are on social media or you haven't seen yet, Pastor Angel and I are going to be grandparents. Come on, somebody. Let's go. So. Pop and Mimi in the house, all right? Pop and Mimi. Uh, but here's the, I was like, Brie, did you know that you can take normal pants and make them maternity pants with a rubber band? She was like, Dad, I already knew that with hair ties. I was like, no, you didn't. Shut up. It's for rubber bands. But another genius idea. And then obviously the thing that we like to do most with rubber bands is shoot them at people. For those of you who are a little immature in the room, uh, that is not for you to practice on the person next to you while I'm preaching, all right? 
just throwing, some of you are like, he just called me immature. I was thinking it too, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to mess with you, Seth. But, but here's what I know about rubber bands. They're only as useful as their ability to be stretched. Because you go grab a 10-year-old rubber band that is nice and hard and crispy, and you go to pull it and it breaks, it's useless. And so its, it's ability is found in its stretch. And I wonder this morning if God is asking all of us, are you willing to be stretched? Are you willing to be stretched? And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark chapter three. We're gonna be looking at an individual who, who God asked him that very question. Are you willing to be stretched? In verse, starting in verse one, it says, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled or withered hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man stretch out your hand he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored then the pharisees went out and began to plot with the herodians on how they might kill jesus let's pray lord thank you for your word that never returns void lord i pray that that today as we unpack your word god that, that our hearts would be open the way this man with the withered hand was God, you gave the commandment to stretch out, stretch out his hand, and he listened. God, I pray today, Lord, that you would give us the faith, the faith to be stretchable, the faith in the season of stretching. God, that we'd be willing to say yes to you, whatever it may be. So help us today to be stretched. In Jesus' name, amen. Just like the paralytic that we talked about last week, Jesus is having another encounter, another run-in with the religious people of the day, and they're not happy with what is taking place. You see, Mark says that there's a man with a withered hand or a shriveled hand. The book of Luke has the same account, but Luke is a doctor and he kind of gives a little bit more information. And he says, this man and his, his right hand is shriveled. And so we see that the, the religious leaders in that time are, are wondering like, what's taking place? Like this man has a, a, a stiff hand, deformed hand, a paralyzed hand, but they knew Jesus's character. Like they had word of, of what has happened. They watched Jesus they know that he had compassion to heal. And so it's the Sabbath and he's not supposed to, but, but they knew Jesus would see the man. They knew that when Jesus saw the man, he would be led to have compassion and he would have to move on his behalf. They knew what we now know, which is Jesus is always looking to break the chains of what binds us. He, Jesus is always looking, always looking to break the chains of what binds us. You see, when Jesus sees you, he's not looking for somebody else. You know what I'm talking about? Like when he sees you, he's wanting to see you. He's wanting to make a connection with you. He's wanting to, to, to be able to see you with compassion, with a desire to make you whole. You see, the Pharisees didn't care about this man. He was there and they did nothing. They say nothing. But when Jesus comes in, it's, it's, it's a trap. Uh, many scholars believe that the man with the withered hand was a plant just to be able to, to, be able to talk to Jesus and, and to be able to say, hey, listen, what you're doing is absolutely wrong. You see, what they cared about was the law that they had orchestrated for the Sabbath. You see, they had a legalistic interpretation of, of the Bible's Sabbath laws, and they concluded that, that the only thing you can do on the Sabbath was keep somebody from dying. Can you just imagine, like, oh, well, your hand, it's all messed up, and it's withered, and it's stiff. That's unacceptable to be healed, so if you die, then we'll, then we'll allow something to take place. 
But that was what legalism did for them. You see, legalism would rather celebrate the principle than meet the needs of the people. That's what legalism does. It wants to, it wants to meet the needs uh, or it wants to celebrate the principle and not meet the needs of the people. Last week, Radiant Life Church uh, hosted, we were the host site for a, another nonprofit organization for, or, for what was called a ride for recovery. Right? Their goal was to raise $50,000 to be able to partner with Hope Recovery Community in Medina, to, to, to be able to be an agency, the hands and feet, to be able to see people uh, free from addiction. And so they said, hey, would you be willing to host? I said, yes, of course we'd be willing to host. However, a lot of churches would say no. They would say no, because they'd be like, okay, help me understand. Like, what, what, what are the group of people that are gonna be at a recovery event? A biker recovery event? So Pastor Lamb, what you're telling me is like, like there's going to be people here, those people, right? People who are, who are in recovery or walking through recovery, people who may have lost somebody from recovery. And there's going to be over 200 motorcycle riders here. Like those people with the beards and the tattoos in the language, those people are going to be here at the church. Yes. And do you know who else is going to be at the church with those people? Me. Why? Because I want to be where lost people are. We had to go buy, we had to go get buckets and fill them with sand so that that way, instead of throwing their cigarette butts on the ground, they'd have a place to put them so we wouldn't have to pick them up later. I was so grateful that we had an opportunity to serve people, to be with lost people, to be able to, to empty trash. It was this one moment, it was so funny, I forgot to share this in the first service, but there was this group of people talking because they were giving away kid, little kids fake tattoos and they were putting them on arms and face and all that. And they were like, Pastor Lance, can we, can we give you a tattoo? And I was like, I'm not getting no tattoo. And you could hear them chuckle because they knew I was a pastor. And then I was like, that's because I already got seven of them. I don't need any more, right? I'm good, right? And uh, some of you are looking at me like, yes, my whole back. But, here, but here's the thing. It's like, I want to be around lost people. I want to be where people are. That is Jesus, right? That's meeting needs. I don't, I, I don't have time to celebrate the principle. I want to be where people are. You see, legalism means I obey out of fear and I must follow rules. Grace means I obey out of love. The outcome is still the same, right? There's obedience. Both are obedient, but one, one says, I only obey out of fear because I have to, I got to meet this checklist of rules. And some of you may have been raised that way spiritually, where thou shall not, thou shall not watch rated R movies. Thou shall not listen to secular music. Thou shall not go to the movie theater. Thou shall not play cards. Thou shall not dance. Some of you were raised that way, right? So you check off all the lists. Like I'm not doing, I'm not doing, I'm not doing. So now I'm, I'm obeying. But grace says, because I've experienced the love of Jesus, because I've experienced the mercy and the grace of Jesus, my only proper response is obedience. It's obedience. And so we can look at the Pharisees and, and, and the religious people and say, man, their, their legalism kept them from seeing people's needs. But Jesus healed the man. He healed the man. He had compassion. You see, the language here for what was taking place was legal. They wanted, they wanted something. This was the prosecution trying to make their case. Like, Jesus, you can't do what the law prohibits you, Jesus. And so we need a case so we can find you guilty. This was their tipping point, right? The Pharisees, they didn't like how Jesus forgave the paralytic. They don't like how Jesus ate with sinners. They don't like that Jesus didn't fast twice a week when they fasted. They didn't like that Jesus was breaking the Sabbath rules. And now the audacity to, to heal a man on the Sabbath. And so you see how they go to plot to take out Jesus. So for just a moment, let's take a look at the three main characters in our text today. Let's see what we can learn from them and apply to our lives. And let's start with Jesus. The first thing that I see is Jesus is compelled to do good because he is good, 
right? Jesus is compelled to do good because he is good. It's his character. The presence of the man with a withered hand would have stirred his heart with compassion. You see, Jesus is drawn to the pain of people. He's drawn to the pain of people. He sees you, he sees your pain. And he, in that moment, Jesus, when he sees you, he's looking at your pain. That doesn't discourage him. It doesn't make Jesus go, I can't do anything. I can't be around that. No, he goes, man, I wanna be right there. I wanna be in the midst of their pain. But I love how Jesus called them out. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? I mean, God in the flesh. Right? According to the book of John, this is Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. This is God in the flesh. And so he, he's, he's able to help, he's able to heal, and he does good. So we don't have to wonder if Jesus wants to help us because he is our helper. Right? He empathizes with us. In the book of John, there's a, a great biblical account of, of Lazarus and his death and Jesus' powerful resurrection in, in his life. But there was an instance where... where the family's like, Jesus, where were you? You were late. And Jesus is like, I'm never late. And, and, and they're crying. And it says that Jesus wept because there was empathy. So he sees you. He sees you where you're at. He understands. And he has compassion. So he empathizes with us. You see, Jesus sees our pain and runs toward it. In John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, no greater love than this, than he that would lay down his life for a friend. We're that friend. Right? We're that friend that he loved us so much that he went running in the direction because our biggest need was forgiveness, and he made a way, was hope, and he became hope in that moment. Right? He, he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's praying, Lord, I, if this is your will, and if it's not your will, then let this cup pass, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What he's saying is, I'm willing to run whatever the race is. I'm willing to go to the cross. I'm willing to hang on the cross. I'm willing to, be, to take that flogging for, for people that I love, the children that I love. And where are those children? And so he runs toward us with his love. It's like a firefighter. Firefighters don't run away from the fire. They run into the fire. I shared a story a, a couple weeks, maybe a couple months ago, uh, about how one of my daughters decided it was a good idea to ride their bike in the middle of 261, downhill, just kept on going. And what I didn't share about that story is when they rode, when they rode their bike into the middle of the road, me as a dad, I didn't wait and look and make sure everything was safe. I jumped and I ran into the road after my child because that's what a father does. That's what your heavenly father is doing for you. When you ride into the road, he's running after you, right? The song we were singing this morning about the prodigal son, he's running towards you, not away from you. His love is not abandoned you. It has not left you. He has not forgotten about you and he sees you. And not only does he see you, just what we'll be talking about next week with the prodigal son, he sees you even when you're a long way off. You think, man, I am so far. There's no way that Jesus could see me. It doesn't matter how far you're gone. There is an opportunity to come home because he sees you, because he's compelled to do good, because he is good. So what do we, can, can we learn from the Pharisees, the religious people, the legalists of Jesus' day? We see this, that Jesus is angered by dead religion. He asked the question and they're silent. Right? They are so stubborn, but they wouldn't answer the question. Because if they answered the question, they would have to admit that they were wrong. And I don't know that, I know no one relates to that this morning, that, that you would have to admit that you were wrong. And so in, I'll just be silent, so that way I'm always right. And that's what they were doing. They're just remaining silent so they wouldn't have to admit that they were wrong. How is it possible that they struggled with the answer? A little child could have, could have answered that question. 
but they're stiff, they're rigid, they're immovable, they're stubborn. And why? Here's what happened to them, and I pray never happens to us. Their love for God was replaced with their love for religion. Right? Their love for God was replaced with their love for religion. Their traditions and interpretations became their affection. I'll repeat that. Their traditions and interpretations became their affections. They were more focused on practices, which gave them personal approval. May we never become so focused on our self-approval that we miss the self-sacrifice of love. Right? Like, oh, this is about me and this is about my approval. They were so focused that they missed what was most important. Hosea 6, 6, I love what it says. It says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. What, what, what is God saying? He's saying, listen, I understand what we're doing in the law and I get this, but I, I want you to love me more than you love the offerings. In Micah chapter six, verse eight says, oh people, the Lord has told you what is good and this is what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. So because they were not walking in that obedience, Jesus is now angered. There is a righteous anger. The scripture says that he's grieved because of the hardening of their hearts. It's a righteous anger because he hates dead religion, that they would rather focus on tradition than loving God and loving people. So the question I have for you this morning is where is your focus? Where's your focus? You see, church, I don't want to become so focused on what I want that I miss what others need. Right? I don't want to become so focused on what I want that I miss what others need. Like I love Life Groups launched last week. They were amazing. Pastor Emily did a great job putting all those together for us. And it, Life Groups were like, we have to split multiple groups already because there's so many people. And that means there's going to be more room. So if you're like, oh, I missed signing up, we're going to do them again next month. And then the month after that, and the month after that, and the month after that. So there's, there's space for you. But some of you are like, man, how often do they meet? Ah, they meet once a month. Well, two hours, just two hours. Got a two-hour window in, in life groups, and we feel like that's really good. But Pastor Lance, man, I want, to meet, I want to meet every week. I want to meet every Sunday. And actually, Pastor Lance, it would be great. You know what I want out of life groups? I want an in-depth Bible study on the book of Revelation. That's what I want. Awesome. I, I love that. I love that. But here's what happens. If we only focus on what I want, then we miss what others need. So there could be hundreds of individuals who are participating in life group. Man, we have 19 people who signed up to be baptized in water, right? Actually, I just got a message on my phone, all right? I seen it, just want you to know uh, that, that I didn't see it. And so that means we got 20, right? That means we have 20 people. There could be 20 new people, right, who are new to faith, who are coming back to faith, which is awesome. But if we say my want of an in-depth Bible study is more important, then we miss the opportunity because we're like, oh, I want, to chew, I want to chew food, and they're still on milk. But if we say, oh, it's about what I want, and we miss what they need, then we miss an opportunity to invest in their lives. If you're like, no, 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 I ain't going to life group because it is not meeting my need. You are eliminating yourself from being salt and light and helping someone else be discipled as a follower of Jesus. And so I don't, I, I got, I got to be careful about making sure I don't get what I want and making sure I see what others need. Pastor Lance, how many of you are here for the worship night? Come on. Like that was so good. Like, let's go. Worship was fire. I loved it. It was amazing. Pastor Lance, let's do worship night every single Wednesday. Yes. Pastor Phil was like, sweet Lord. There's 11 songs and 11 arrangements and keys. And it was so much work. And and I, and I, trust me, I'm there. I, I love the thought of doing a worship night every single Wednesday. 
But we are given a commandment to go and make disciples. Wednesday nights, our midweeks are an opportunity for us to disciple our kids, to disciple our youth, and for you as adults to be discipled. And so we, we, we have to be strategic in that. And so what we, and hear me on this. So maybe something I want, but I see what others need. And I'm like, man, I have to hit pause on something that I want because I see that need in somebody else. And plus, like I said, we get it every morning, every opportunity on Sunday morning to make it a worship day. Let's go. So you could say, I want life groups every week. I want worship nights every single Wednesday. Man, you may be saying, I want a two hour long service. Come on. You can't stay awake for an hour, let alone two. <laughs> Here's what I find interesting. I say life groups every week, or I say worship nights every week, and everyone's like, mm-mm-mm. I say a two-hour-long service, and no one said a word. Huh. I'm feeling a little bit of tension here this morning. I don't want one either, so we're good. We're going to get out of here in just a couple minutes. But here's the deal. We have to be careful, because I, I, I want to be a church that focuses more on relationships than we do religion. I love seeing our lobby after service, and, and, and everyone like, let's go, and everybody just hanging out. There's going to be a little less space today because of our welcome party, but hang out for a little bit. Come and, come and celebrate with us. Next week, we didn't mention this, but I forgot in the nine, my bad. We also have the Kona ice truck, shaved ice after service, free for you to be able to participate in. Let's go. We're celebrating. You got a party, right? So let's be a church that focuses more on relationships. So what can we learn about the, wither, the man with the withered hand? And here's the last thing if you're taking notes, is Jesus offers restoration. What, what do we know about the man? We don't even know his name. He's just a man. He's a man with a withered hand. We don't know how long he's in this condition, but what we do know from biblical, other biblical accounts and biblical references is that people with disabilities were looked down upon. In other biblical accounts, they would, they would challenge and they'd be, they asked the question, Jesus, what, what, did his, what, parent, what sin did his parents commit that they're like that? Right, because surely you must have done something. Like if there's a disability, then you as a parent have some type of sin in your life. <laughs> I'll never forget the one time someone came I heard that they challenged Brie, that there was some type of sin. That's why she was the way she was. I've never wanted to fight somebody more in that moment. I was like, in Jesus' name, like, I will, right? But, here, but here's the deal. That's not the case. There was judgment, but Jesus offers restoration. This man would have felt shame. He would have felt embarrassment because to him, this is his weakness. They wore robes. I can just imagine seeing this, this young man just hiding his hand. Like, I don't want people to see it. I don't want people to, to see and have to walk through what my weakness is. And along comes Jesus. Along comes Jesus, and he provides the healing of that weakness. And he restores his, his hand back to the way it was meant to be in the first place. You may not have a withered hand this morning, but we all have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses that the Lord is able to heal. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's in some type of bad habit. Maybe it's in an in a unreasonable with our unreasonable emotions. Maybe it's a broken relationship or maybe it's just in our failures. What I know is just as Jesus healed that man, he's offering healing to us, right? This isn't a story that, that oh, that was great and it's a one-time event. No, this is available to us today. So what do we learn from this man? How can we apply his story to our story? What, 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 what must we be willing to do that he did? Here's the first thing, is he stepped forward. Jesus said, come out. He said, stand out. Right, we just read it, come here, stand here. And can you imagine he's stuck in, I just feel like he'd be stuck in the back of the room because he was an outcast, he would've been shamed. So he's in the back of the room and all of a sudden Jesus is like, no, 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 I need you to come out, I need you to come stand here. Many translators believe when Jesus said stand up, what he was saying was come stand here in the middle of the room. Can you imagine this morning, I was like, hey, why don't you come stand right here? You'd be like, ah, 
I'm good. Like, I don't mind being in the back, being in the front. That's for the youth. That's where they sit. I'm good in the back row. But Jesus is like, no, I need you to come out. He's used to living in the shadows. He's used to going unnoticed. But this is why this is so important. It's because the miracle is on the other side of your yes. He had to step forward. He had to be willing to come out. When Jesus asked, he could have been like, nah, it's not a good idea, and walked out the door. He could have ran away. But no, it's in that moment where he said yes. On Wednesday night, I love the worship night, and we were worshiping, and Pastor Bree was leading us, and, and she gave a challenge. She said, listen, you have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone because it's comfortable sometimes just staying in your seat and, and standing back. But if you want to experience Jesus, you want that healing. You want, you, it's, it's going to be because you said yes. So say yes to getting up out of your seat. And it was like 40 people came down front, and they were like, yes, right? And we just chased after Jesus. I loved it. But there was a challenge of our comfort with our complacency. See, you may be waiting on God to do the impossible. He may be waiting on you to do what is possible. Right? It's possible for you to take that step forward. You have to be willing to get up and take that step. The second thing that we see that this man did that we can do is have faith in Jesus. I'm sure he may have heard, hey, like, hey, this, this guy I've been hearing about, his name is Jesus. Maybe he heard the stories, and so that for him was an inspiration. Like, I'm going to have the faith that this man who is speaking in the synagogue sees me. He's not going to dismiss me like all the Pharisees do every Sunday. He's going to see me, and maybe this is an opportunity for me to be made whole. Do you have that faith in Jesus that he, you can meet with him today? Do you believe that he's here to meet with you as much as you are to meet with him? Because that's who he is. Do you have the faith in Jesus that, that he has the ability to help you in your place of need, in your place of weakness? Do you have that kind of faith today? And then lastly, we see from this man that he had to step forward, he had to have faith, and lastly, he had to be willing to be stretched. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Understanding this is impossible for this man. I mean, Jesus knows this, like his hand is paralyzed. It is, it is stiff, it is, it is crippled. And he tells the man to stretch out his hand. It's in this moment that I, that I love this man's response because he could have argued with Jesus. He could have been like, Jesus, let me explain something to you how my withered hand works. It doesn't. I've prayed, I've, I've tried to stretch this hand. I've tried to move it, but it will not be moved. But this is what it reminds me. It reminds me to be faithful in what you can do and God will be faithful in what you can't do, right? I'll repeat it again, because no one said amen. Be faithful in what you can do and God will be faithful in what you can't do. Amen. That's much better. But instead of arguing with Jesus, the man obeyed Jesus. He stretched out his hand, and in that moment, his hand was restored. You have two options this morning. You can argue with Jesus, or you can obey Jesus. That's it. You can argue and say, no, 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 no. What you've asked me to do is too difficult. I'm not able to do that. You see, hearing the word won't heal you, but living the word will deliver you. Like, just like, oh, that was a really good word. I appreciate that. And you leave, and you just go, ah, it's not really for me. Or in this moment, you just pause and you say, man, what, what am I supposed to do with what I just heard? How am I supposed to apply? What is this, this rubber band thing all about? Are you willing to be stretched by the Lord? Are you willing to be stretched? I know it's just a cheap orange rubber band, but it's symbolic. Are we willing to be stretched by the Lord? You see, it was in that moment where he gave the command, stretch. But here's what I find interesting. He didn't heal him and then asked him to stretch. He asked him to stretch and out of his obedience, his hand is restored. 
you have to do what is possible so God can do what's impossible. And God may be stretching you a little bit this morning. Maybe he's he's stretching you and he's asking you to do something that you've never done before. I remember getting my call to ministry. I was like, no, don't stretch me like that. I'm good. I I could operate a tow motor with the best of them. And you know how many people fit on my tow motor? But he's like, no, I want, I want to stretch you. I'm going to take an introvert and I'm going, to, I'm going to put you on a stage. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if you know what you're doing, Lord, but there was a stretching. Maybe he wants you to do something. But maybe there's a stretching because he wants you to stop doing something. Maybe there's a habit that you pick up more than you pick up him. Maybe there's something you run to to find peace or security more than you run to him. And so he's like, man, there's a stretching season. And I just want to stretch you because I want you to stop doing. But maybe it's a stretching season and he wants you to give something. He wants you to, he's he's, he's like, man, I want you to be generous. That special missions project, I want you to be generous. That that neighbor across the street, I want you to give something. I want you to give your time. Go mow their grass. So he wants you to give something. Maybe there's a stretching because he wants you to say something. He wants you to go to that coworker and say something. You're like, "Mm." so there's a stretching. He wants, you, he wants you to share your story. He wants you to let others know how valuable they are. So he wants you to say something. But maybe the stretching is, he wants you to say nothing. If the Holy Spirit is saying you should bite your tongue, that's a stretching of you should bite your tongue and say nothing. Because is it gonna be helpful? Is it gonna build up? Is it gonna be, bring life? Then maybe it's a stretching of, I just need to hold it. Or maybe there's a stretching that you're supposed to start something. Did you hear Pastor Rusty share his story? He he knew he needed to start something. And five years later, the investment into a community, into into not not a program, but into people, right? Like I, I need to make a difference. I need to do something. He didn't wait for the church he attended to do something. He said, I need to do something. I need to be stretched. I need to step out in faith. Man, look what God is doing for the past five years, reaching in the lives of people, providing hope and healing and restoration. So maybe you need to start something, but maybe, you need, maybe the stretching is you need to end something. Maybe there's a relationship, a toxic one, that just holds you back from being all that God has called you to be. And so you're like, no, I need, I need to end it. That friendship is, is, is hurting me more than it's helping me. Or maybe the stretching is, that God wants you to love someone. And when I say that, I have a feeling you know the person. I just have that feeling that the Holy Spirit, when I say you need to love someone, you're like, I know know who it is, but man, that is such a stretch because that neighbor, that coworker, that person, that family member, and God's like, but here's what happens on the other side of your stretch. Here's what happens on the other side of your yes, healing and wholeness and restoration. So what was withered, what was shriveled, what was disconnected, can now have hope when you say yes. So this morning, are you willing to be stretched? Are you willing to be stretched? With every eye closed this morning, if you're here this morning, you say, yeah, I wanna be stretched, but, but you're, you're talking about Jesus. I don't know who Jesus is. I've, I've been doing life my own way. My, it's not working and I, I need Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. He's stretching me to say yes to being a follower of His. If that's you this morning, if you're watching online, a host would love to pray with you. If you're in the room this morning, I wanna pray with you. If you're here this morning and you wanna say yes to giving your life to Jesus, would you just simply raise your hand with no one looking around? Say yes, that's me. 
I'm being stretched. Thank you, thank you. So here's what we're gonna do in just a moment. When you're ready, when you're ready, I'm gonna ask you to take this orange rubber band. I'm gonna ask you to put it on your wrist. And once you put it on your wrist and you're ready, I want you to stand up. I want you to lift your hands because this is an opportunity for you to say yes to the stretching. This is an opportunity for you to say, Lord, whatever you're wanting to do in my life, the stretching, I know that you are more than able. You're like, man, I can't do this. And he's like, you're right, you can't do, but what you can do is step forward. What you can do is stand. What you can do is be stretched and then allow God to do what you cannot do in the period of stretching. So when you're ready, put that rubber band on your wrist, stand up, lift your hands, and would you make a a declaration that says, God, I know that you are more than able in the stretching this morning.